And so we asked for, you know, basically, if you're still stuck on MQLs, why? And, and what's keeping you from moving to an opportunity? And, and as you can see here in the results, the, the overwhelming um, answer was culture, right? And, and basically, you know, what we hear a lot is, um, you know, we've been thinking about MQLs since 1998. You know, my, my board asked about MQLs. Everybody asked about MQLs. We bonus people on MQLs. And it's just so embedded in the culture. And that's actually one of the hardest changes to make. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the B2BMX podcast. I'm your host, Claudia Tarico, and as always, I have my co-host, Kelly Lindenau, here with me. Hello, hello. So it's no secret that we love a little controversy here. So a couple weeks ago, we spoke with John Russo about his belief that, despite reports stating otherwise, MQAs and MQLs are alive and well. So we think it's only fair we play some devil's advocate here and share the opposing view, right? So with that, we're taking you all back to Forrester's keynote at our next level ABM event titled, Say Goodbye to MQLs, No Thanks to MQAs, and Hello to Opportunities. VP and Principal Analyst Terry Flaherty discussed the major process, systems, and cultural issues with both MQLs and MQAs. So let's listen in to hear Terry's take on the MQL-MQA debate. Welcome to my session. Hope you find it informative. Uh, as, as Andrew said, you know, it's really important for marketing and sales to be aligned. And we, we think one of the fundamental, most important things in alignment is agreement on actually what's being shared through the revenue process. And, and so we're seeing in some major transformations that are occurring, I would say mostly in the last year, um, that as you'll see, start to put a, a lot of focus on Number one, starting to say goodbye to MQLs, right? There, there's some significant challenges and issues with an MQL-focused process. But also, you know, what, what we're seeing is uh, a lot of organizations are starting to move to MQAs, right? marketing qualified accounts, and, and that comes with problems. Um, and, and so our, our vision, our research has been uh, very heavily focused on the concept of let's align around opportunities and, and the concept of buying groups. And, and, and so as I, as I said, we're seeing kind of this major inflection point, um, you know, the big question, I probably 75% of the discussions I have now with clients center around, um, you know, what is it that should be moving through the process and why? And, and like I said, there's really kind of three candidates. The, the first is the traditional MQL, right? And the traditional MQL has been with us since like 1998 now, right? And it's a single marketing qualified lead that we're going to send from marketing to the BDR or at Forrester, we call it the RDR, uh, and the revenue development rep. And, and then it goes to the account executive. And sometimes it goes as a contact, sometimes it goes as an opportunity, but most importantly, it's going as a single person. Right? And then um, we're, we're seeing more and more organizations now starting to make what they think is a, a good shift uh, to say, okay, we're not focusing on leads anymore. We're, we're focusing on accounts, right? And uh, we, we think that's a, a noble intention, but we also see some pretty big limitations and issues with um, having an account-centric process. Um, and, and as I said, what we've been focused on, and we've started this work about five years ago, and, and you know, it's really accelerated now uh, to think about, you know, instead of leads and, and accounts, really think about opportunities, and then the buying group, the people that are associated or involved in that opportunity. So 
this has become kind of a personal mantra for me, as Andrew said, and uh, I'll give you a link at the end to, I did a four part blog series on why we need to abandon MQLs and why we shouldn't adopt MQAs and, and why it's all opportunities. But the inspiration came to me a couple of years ago. Okay? And I'm gonna take you back to an October evening. Um, I was sitting outside by the, the fire pit. I had my dog in my lap drinking a, a great glass of wine um, and listening to music. And the Beatles came on. And you know, you, you probably all know the, the, the rumors or the legend that says Beatles like to hide secret messages uh, in their songs. Right? And so I was listening to one of their more popular songs. You know, I say, you say goodbye, I say hello. And I swear I heard very subtly, uh, Paul send me a message. And I heard, say goodbye to MQLs, say hello to opportunities. And I was like, wait, 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 what? And, and I went back and I listened. And, and you know, my, my wife says it was the wine, but I know I heard it. Right? And, and then what was uncanny was the next song was they sang Come Together, another Beatles song. And embedded in that song was opportunities. And, and so I took that as a signal. Right? And it's a signal from Paul and the Beatles that, you know, number one, they, they were really B2B transformational visionaries way back in the 60s, which I found was really interesting. Um, but, you know, what it felt like was they said, okay, this is, this is you know, the, the message that you need to send. And, you know, we're going to pick you as one of the ambassadors to go send this message of it's time to say goodbye to MQLs. It's time to say hello to opportunities. And the time to do it is right now. So that's what we're going to talk about in this session. And, and so let's talk about uh, five things you're going to learn, right? And, and number one is why MQLs just don't work anymore, uh, why MQAs or marketing qualified accounts aren't the right approach, why we want to go to opportunities, and, and, and how, right? Because it's obviously not an overnight transformation to move from a lead-centric process to an opportunity-centric process, but it's a really important one. Um, and, and then we're going to talk about um, the MQL culture and, and the role that the MQL culture is playing in, in sort of shaping this and, and sometimes stalling this, this transformation. Um, so you guys may have seen this. We, we announced a, a um, newer version of our waterfall about a year ago. Uh, we call it the B2B revenue waterfall. It's sort of the, the follower or, you know, or, or kind of the next logical step after the demand unit waterfall. And, and there's a couple of important things about this. And number one, as you, you've heard me say already, right, it, instead of thinking about leads in this waterfall, what we're looking at is opportunities and it's opportunities that are gonna move through the process. Now, you know, waterfalls are made up of stages. And so we have stages within this waterfall that are, you know, typically oriented toward marketing, typically oriented toward the BDR and sales. And, and, and so from a marketing perspective, there's some planning stages, right? And, and so we said, okay, above the waterfall, we have accounts, right? Um, and, and accounts don't go through the waterfall, but accounts are, are the things that, that produce opportunities. And one of the major enhancements in this waterfall is sort of recognition that, you know, in, in the past, the waterfall was primarily used to measure new acquisition. And then the philosophy, philosophy was, well, sales is working the account. And so we don't really need a waterfall that for that. Sales is handling cross-sell and upsell. But what we recognize, right, is number one, that obviously revenue is much more than just acquisition revenue. We want to look at all sources of revenue. We also want to, you know, know that these are processes and, and the resources and you know, how we invest in these processes may be different, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be measuring and optimizing them. And so we've added extensions to this waterfall to be able to say, 
you know, let, let's look at, you know, new logo acquisition coming from accounts we haven't sold anything into, but let's also be able to understand and measure, um, you know, opportunities that are coming from existing customers, either as retention, right, where it's the same, same buying group, same solution, just two more years, or upsell where we're selling something else to another, you know, the same buying group or cross sell where we're selling, you know, maybe the same solution or a different solution into an existing account. And, and so a couple of stages that are interesting, um, you know, the, the target opportunity stage is really just the planning stage. And, and I shouldn't say just because it's really critical. It's, you know, aligning with sales and marketing to say, hey, if we're selling a talent management solution, for example, into this market segment, how many potential opportunities that we do we think that we can uh, address and, and, and reach, right? And that's what we call targeted opportunity. That's where we're aiming. And not all opportunities are in market, right? All potential opportunities, not all accounts are in market. And so detected is a newer stage that helps us understand um, that, you know, accounts are generating signals that are early stage that tell us that they're in market. And that's very often either first party intent or third party intent. And then our goal is drive engagement. So that's engaged man. I've got you know, interactions with one or, or more people that I've got their contact information I know. Uh, we, we start to prioritize. And um, the, the key is we're looking across the buying group as opposed to the individual. So uh, instead of thinking about one single individual, we're looking at the behavior and the characteristics of the entire buying group. And, and, and once that buying group hits the scoring threshold, it becomes prioritized gets sent over to the BDR, the RDR for qualification, and, and then gets sent over to sales. And, and one other major change we've had to this waterfall is, you know, if you remember, we used to have this stage called SQL, right? And SQL was kind of this magical stage in the sales process where, um, you know, we, we had a deal size and we had a close date. And we said, that's an important part of the process. But sales was like, well, wait a second. You know, actually, when, when we think about opportunities, we think about pipeline and the deals we're working are all part of our pipeline, but there are different stages and we have those stages. And so we say, okay, you know, because we're focusing on the opportunity entity, we're going to leverage the existing opportunity stages and sales leverage as part of this holistic waterfall that ends in a closed one. So that's a real quick overview of the waterfall. And, and one of the key things to recognize with this waterfall, right, is as opportunities progress through the waterfall, our goal is drive engagement with additional people attach, connect those people to that opportunity. And then as we add more people, that's what's accelerating or starting to pull the opportunity through the waterfall all the way down to a closed deal. Okay, so it's been interesting. Like I said, we started this, this mantra or this mission about five years ago, uh, upgraded the waterfall to the BB revenue waterfall a year ago. Um, and, and, and there was, you know, I'd say a huge amount of interest, but um, you know, not, not as much adoption as I was hoping for. Right. Uh, up until about nine months or so ago. And all of a sudden, um, you know, we're seeing more and more organizations that are kind of seeing the light and saying, you know, we, we get that it's not individual leads. We know we want to focus on opportunities. We're going to implement this process. But there's still a number of organizations that haven't done it. So I just did a, a real quick snap poll on LinkedIn. And, and while the number is a little bit low, we had 34 people responded, you know, in a couple of days. It, it's really indicative of what we're seeing in the market. Right. And so we asked for, you know, basically, if you're still stuck on MQLs, why? And, and what's keeping you from moving to an opportunity? And, and as you can see here in the results, that the overwhelming um, answer was culture. Right? And, and basically, you know, what we hear a lot is, um, you know, we've been thinking about MQLs since 1998. You know, my, my board asked about MQLs. Everybody asked about MQLs. We bonus people on MQLs. And it's just so embedded in the culture. And that's actually one of the hardest changes to make. 
Um, you know, not many people think it's hard and, and we've been working a lot and vendors are working a lot to, to make it, you know, very reasonable to make this transformation. Um, and then some people thought, well, sales will never go for it. And, and actually it's been fascinating. What we're learning is sales loves us, right? Because this is a way for them to get a lot more insight about what's really op- happening in accounts and opportunities than just that single, here's Bob the MQL and, and good luck on it, right? Um, and, and, and so what we're going to talk about is um, you know, kind of how we start to affect the culture around MQLs and, and, you know, what are the big obstacles, what are the big issues with MQLs, uh, and then we'll look at MQAs, and then we'll look at opportunities, and, and then we're going to talk about, you know, a lot of it just comes down to reporting and metrics and, and, you know, sort of answering the question, is marketing pulling its weight, and so we'll show you how to address that. Okay, so I did a top seven reasons, if you will, of uh, basically why we need to end the MQL addiction. And, and I did research a few, a few years ago. We do, we do a lot of, of benchmarking and waterfall diagnostics. And uh, one of the things that really stood out to me as just you know, phenomenally distressing is if, if we think about you know, kind of this lead-centric process that's represented by an MQL, um, and we say, okay, somebody raises their hand. Somebody comes and fills out a white paper, fills out a form, downloads a white paper. We call that inquiry in the past, and that ultimately leads to an MQL. But the success rate of that process is less than 1%. And, and if we flip it around, what it says is, yeah, I've got this really critical um, business process that's aligning marketing and tele and sales, and that's how we produce revenue. And, and that process fails 99% of the time. And, and so you almost have to say, the, you know, the only time it works is pure luck, right? Because if it fails 99% of the time, obviously, you know, we need to change something. And um, part, of, part of the issue, right, and the big issue is how we think about things in systems, right? And so in, in systems, very, very lead centric, you know, the marketing automation very often focuses on leads. Uh, our process is, is a lead centric process where we're sending a single individual. And, and one of the challenges on that is, you know, the success rate, but also just the insight we get from the systems. If you, if you look at the CRM world, and like how many people are typically connected to an opportunity, even when the opportunity is closed, um, it's, it's one or less, right? Uh, and, and so that's just catastrophic because, you know, the, 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 you know, the, 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 the real buyer, right, in, in this world is not the MQL. The, the buyer is actually a buying group, right? And, and so we have extremely limited insight into the behavior of the buying group today right, which makes it really hard to kind of optimize and improve the performance of this process. And, and, and this is, you know, this buying group um, evolution is not new and it's very significant. And, you know, we've done buying studies where uh, just across the board, like 80% of B2B buying decision decisions are, are made by a buying group of three or three or more. And one of the things we're seeing, right, is that as the deals get bigger, I think that was for a deal of $5,000 and above, as the deals get bigger and we're talking 50,000 or 500,000, it's pretty much every deal is, is involved in the buying group. And so, you know, if we're really thinking about understanding the buyer, we need to change our perspective away from this individual person, Bob, and, and really look at these eight people that are working together to solve this business problem. Okay, so the, the next issue is that you know the definition definition of an MQL um, is, is kind of made up. I mean that, that's that's about as gentle as I can put it. Um, and and one of my favorite kind of TV shows a, a few years ago uh, was, was this comedy. Uh, it was an improv comedy called Whose Line Is It Anyway? 
Okay? And they, they had had their tagline of, you know, welcome to who's line where everything, you know, points don't matter and everything's made up. And, and, and that's the way that lead scoring is done in many, many organizations today. So, you know, on the left, we see this sample model and there's, you know, this is focused on engagement. You know, there, there could be models that also look at the company and the people. But when I look at engagement, there, there's often just a number of really um, almost silly type things we're measuring. Did they open the email? Did somebody come and visit the website? Did they give me a Facebook like, or did they follow me on LinkedIn, right? And then there's, you know, downloading white papers, attending webinars, uh, but there's no real consistency in defining what it is we're measuring. And, and more importantly, no consistency at all um, on how many points do we get for a white paper? That's probably one of the more common questions I get is, is a white paper worth 25 points or 50 points? And my answer is it doesn't really matter. Uh, because number one, we're, we're only looking at that one single person. Uh, but number two, you know, the, the, the points that we're awarding and the thresholds we're defining, um, just look at activity, but don't really look deeper into, you know, are there, are there assets, are there white papers that really, or, or webinars or something that really have a strong indication of propensity to buy? And, and one of the things we found, right, um, and, and many of the vendors are, are supporting this also, is that there's basically no correlation whatsoever between a single person's engagement and a propensity to buy. So, you know, if somebody downloaded three, three white papers or five white papers or 10 white papers, no correlation whatsoever on does this mean that, that that's more likely to buy or not. Uh, and in fact, the signal that we really need to understand, the strongest indicator of propensity, is actually that I'm starting to see multiple multiple people engaged because you know that that changes from hey I'm just a really bored lone wolf you know researching a topic or looking for a new job or whatever the case might be. You know if I've got three or five or n number of people they're engaging with me then that's a really strong indication that something's going on in that organization. And if multiple people are engaging, it's also a really good indicator of propensity to buy. So we're seeing you know, organizations that look and say, if I've got you know, three or more people in an account that are engaging on this opportunity, you know, my, my close rate of the overall deal goes up 300, 400% compared to that lead center view. So you know, it's, a, it's a critical way to start to think about um, prioritization of, of what do I want to focus on and what do I think are the deals that have a strong opportunity to close. Okay, now here, here's another issue is, you know, MQLs, just by the definition of the MQL, they, they ignore basically everything other than that one person that engages. And, and a better way to think about this is to think of the opportunity and, and think of the, the signals that are kind of generated by people in that activity. And this is kind of a poorly designed, supposed to be a radar screen, but what, what it's showing is the different signals that are available to marketing and sales from an insight perspective um, that all help to tell the story that says, hey, I think this opportunity is real and has a good chance of closing. Right? And so, you know, at the center of it, we have our famous, you know, here's Bob that hit the 100 point scoring threshold because they did three things. Right. And, and that's kind of the center point. And, and in, in, I would guess, over 90% of organizations today, that, that's the thing that we focus on is, oh, my God, I've got somebody that hit a lead score threshold and bells and whistles go off and we throw BDR, RDR resources at it. But, you know, there's other signals that occur, right? And, and so I, I get signals from other people who, you know, maybe have downloaded a white paper, but they didn't do enough to hit a lead score threshold. And, and one of the things we always ask this fun little quiz is, you know, which do you think sales is more interested in? 
And which has a better propensity to buy? One person that downloaded four white papers, right? Or four people from the same account in the same, in, interested in the same topic um, that each downloaded one white paper each. And, and what we're seeing is it's just exponentially different. That, that four people down, even if they're only doing one thing that's relevant to their role, that, that's a super, super strong indicator of propensity. And so that's what we need to get the sales is the fact I'm seeing multiple people engaging in, in this account, this opportunity, and not, you know, I've got somebody that's bored and binged. Right? But then um, we also have signals now, you know, and, and this has evolved over the last five years or so of, um, you know, anonymous website visitors. And, and, and so these are people, you know, I, I don't know the names, but I know the account they're coming from and I know what they're looking at. And you know the, the the sad thing, the challenge is, you know, we're seeing three to five percent somewhere in there of, of people that come to the website actually register, and, and so that means you know ninety five percent of the people aren't. And yeah, there's some robots and stuff, but the vast majority of the people that come to your website are coming there for a reason, and and those are signals that are just grossly ignored. And, and then the last signal is now third-party intent, right? And there's a lot of interest in, in being able to capture and understand third-party intent. And, and, and so the key is when we think about being able to prioritize and say, hey, this is, this is something that's real, what we really want to look at is the combination of signals. And the more signals I'm seeing, the, the better the story is from a sales perspective, the higher propensity. And so our whole objective is to be able to say, you know, we're not just going to focus on Bob that hit that lead score threshold. We're going to go collect all of these different signals and be able to communicate and share these signals with the BDR and the sales, because that's going to have a dramatic impact in the success and velocity of our, our sales process. Okay, so this one I think is the biggest issue I see, right? And, and that's the, you know, when, we, when I have an MQL-centric process, it, it's intentionally, and, and, and maybe not, you know, maybe not, oh, I want to waste budget, but you couldn't figure out a better way to waste budget, and you couldn't figure out a better way to hide information from sales than to have an MQL-centric process. And, and, and so here's what this looks like, and it basically says, you know, if you're in marketing today, you know there's multiple people involved in an opportunity. You, you invest in personas. You're defining the people that, you know, if I'm selling a talent management solution, here's the six six roles that are involved, and here's the key messages and concerns and carebouts and characteristics of those different personas. And we're probably building programs that address, you know, multiple different personas with tailored messaging. So marketing gets it, right? They know that there's multiple people involved. And obviously, as I've talked about earlier, sales gets it too. They've known this for years that you know if they're going to win a substantial deal, there's a team that they have to gain consensus from. Now, what sales isn't as good as at as we'd like is you know documenting that, systematizing it. And there's ways to to help that now reduce the administration. But sales completely understands that you know it's it's a buying group of people I need to influence. And so here's here's the irony, right? Is I've got marketing kind of recognizing, oh yeah, it's really buying groups and personas. Sales obviously has known this forever. And, and yet I have this pipe, right, the, of this revenue process. And it very often goes through the BDR, the RDR, and, and that pipe is a single person. Right. And, and, and that's it. And here's the real tragedy and, and why there's such waste is uh, very, very often after that first person goes through as an MQL and gets sent over to you know, qualify and send over to sales, the BDRs very often shut down that process. Right. And they're like, if somebody else surfaces from Acme, but I've already sent Acme over to sales, not interested. Right. Because I've been told focus on new things or sales is already working in Acme or whatever. 
even though it's a different person and maybe even if it's interest in a different solution, that process is shut down, right? And, and I had probably one of the most interesting you know, conversations with a client um, a few months ago, right? And it was a CMO um, and, and very interested in transitioning. This was a billion dollar company, very interested in transitioning away from an MQL process into an opportunity process. And, and the conversation that he had, that we had, was all about, about risk and do I do a pilot and how do I control and manage the risk? And, and so we had this really good conversation and um, here's, here's kind of the results of it, right? After the conversation, the CMO knew, right? Without a doubt, right? Marketing understands and they do personas and they're generating multiple people per opportunity. No doubt about that. Right? And he was proud of the fact of all the persona work they had done. And, you know, he, he, he knows that, you know, obviously sales is focused on the buying group. He also knows, found, right, that, that the RDR has a single pipe and they close that pipe. And, and the challenge is, you know, they have a, a portfolio of multiple different solutions. And, and so not only do they miss people that may be interested in the same opportunity, but they shut that pipe down forever, essentially. And, and so nine months from now, if somebody else comes in interested in a different solution, sorry, pipe's closed and, and the BDR is not going to touch it because sales is already working that account and has infinite wisdom, right? So that, that's kind of the fundamental problem. And it's still super pervasive. I'd probably say 80% of the clients I've talked to uh, have this issue we call the second lead syndrome. Okay? Um, so at the end of the conversation, what the CMO realized was, um, this process, he, they're wasting an incredible amount of budget investing and spending money to generate signals, right, that then are kind of intentionally ignored, right? They, they take that first person, and very often that first person is, you know, maybe an influencer or researcher, and, and then the people that follow are the actual people that are really meaningful in the buying group, but they're intentionally ignored, right? And his belief after the conversation was like, I'm probably, you know, marketing has all this insight, they're driving all these interactions, and yet we're hiding it from sales. Sales has to go figure this out on their own. And his bet was probably extending the length of the sales cycle by at least 20%, right? Just because he's hiding information that already exists, he's hiding that from sales and making them go find it on their own. And, and so what was interesting was uh, what he realized at the end of the call was he's like, holy cow, if the CEO knew that I was wasting probably 40% of my acquisition budget and extending the sales cycle by 20%, I'd be fired instantly. So that's my risk because I've got to get this, this solved and fixed before the, this you know, kind of fiasco that I have actually makes it to the CEO and, and my job's at risk. And so they're you know, deep in the process now of, of making this transformation. Okay, and then sixth reason why you don't want MQLs, right, is they, they completely underrepresent marketing value. And, and, and so, you know, here's a sample of an opportunity, but lots of different interactions that have occurred across a buying group of four people. Um, and, and the issue is one of these people is going to be the MQL and that, that MQL stage may be reached off of one or two or n number of interactions, but it's a small subset of all the interactions that, you know, are occurring that are heavily controlled and influenced by marketing, right? Um, and, and the issue is with that second lead syndrome and just our process, you know, there may be 27 interactions that are occurring and we care about two, right? Cause that's what got somebody to MQL. And so everything else has been, um, you know, complete waste. And, and so, you know, we, we've, another one of my colleagues wrote a blog that said, you know, basically, you know, the, the marketing source and MQLs are really a process that was designed perfectly to get a CMO fired because it's just underrepresents 
all the value that marketing can contribute to the business, not just on getting a, a, a new person to raise their hand, a new opportunity, but also helping to accelerate that. So, you know, as you'll see, when we think about measurement, we have to do transformation and change, right? In, in order to be able to get a much more holistic view of here's all the interactions that are occurring that were enabled by marketing and how that accelerated that opportunity. Okay, last thing, reason why you wanna leave MQLs is a lot of times they're viewed as a distraction. Right. Um, and, and so this is an example of I do, I do this this methodology called waterfall diagnostics. And this is looking at, you know, comparing conversion rates against benchmarks. And this is at the top of the funnel. So we're basically inquiry to, um, you know, op zero meeting TQL. This is the output of the BDR. And, you know, it breaks down to here's scoring. Here's the qualification function. And in the qualification function, here's what the BDRs agreed to work. And then here's how effective they are in closing what they agree to work. And one of the things I see just all the time is BDRs being really selective, right? And they may ignore, you know, we may say, hey, you know, we're sending you an MQL because of this, but they're like, well, I like MQLs that are a little bit richer. And, and so they ignore a lot. Like in this case, they're only accepting 37% of the MQLs that are sent to them. And, and then the other issue, you know, secondly syndrome. So they may be ignoring a lot of MQLs that are, people that are engaged, but they're in existing accounts, right? Um, and, and we see just still major challenges with, you know, service level agreements and expectations of how quickly are we engaging, what kind of volume, what type of interactions are we driving. We're starting to see some improvement with the adoption of sales engagement platforms, but there's still a lot of area here to improve that process. And so, you know, like, like again, another dichotomy, sales is very often, and, and BDRs are like, send me leads, send me leads. But the evidence says, you know, when we send them a lot of leads, um, mixed in that is probably leads that weren't as qualified as they should have been, and um, they get burned out and they just ignore them, right? And so that's a major problem also on why we think about MQLs as being um, such an issue. Okay, so I think we probably have, you know, kind of shot the MQL in the head, but, but the next question that we see all the time is, well, what about marketing qualified accounts? Right. Um, you know, we, we're using ABM platforms and we start to get insight around this concept of marketing qualified accounts. So what do we think of those? Right. And, and, and here's the really short answer. There is no such thing as a marketing qualified account. There is none. Right. And, and the reason why there is no such thing as a marketing qualified account is accounts aren't the buyer either. It's the buying group. Right? Accounts are legal entities. Right. And they employ people and those people form buying groups to solve business problems. But an account doesn't buy anything. Right. It's the buying group. So, again, I, you know, I can't I don't want to have a process that doesn't have the buyer going through that process. And so, you know, having being able to say, oh, I've got a, an account that's qualified, it, it's kind of nonsensical. Right. And, and one of the reasons why it's nonsensical is, you know, I may have a portfolio with four or five different solutions I'm selling. And so, you know, what, I have a marketing qualified account for what, right? What, what's it qualified for? And, and so one of the things that we strongly advise our clients to do is say, okay, you know, we, we need to think beyond accounts, right? And we need to think about opportunities. And this is an example of what we call an opportunity map. And so this is basically, you know, defining, you know, say I'm an HR vendor, defining the various buying groups that I have. There's a group that's, that's a talent management focused, an HR operations focused, the training focused, and, and those buying groups have different functional needs. And we have three different solutions that I can sell into HR across buying groups. And those buying groups may be different sizes, right? So maybe talent management is typically six, 
HR op is eight and training may be four. And, and, and so when we think about alignment, um, you know, yes, we want to agree on accounts. Right? Here's the hundred accounts or 500 accounts that we agree we're going after, but we need to take it to the next step to be able to say, you know, within those accounts, here's the opportunities that exist that we're targeting. And even better is for each one of those opportunities, here's a buying group profile that defines the typical size, the typical roles and typical titles that are associated to that. And, and once I've done that, then I've got perfect alignment between marketing and sales on understanding you know, how, how many accounts, how many opportunities and how many people we need to influence as part of this process. And now I could start managing and evolving my process to support that. Okay, so one of the reasons why um, MQAs aren't the answer is, you know, I'm sure you've all seen, sales hates noise, right? They, they want insight, but they hate noise. And so a lot of, you know, kind of the ABM vendors, people focused on accounts, or you know, vendors focused on accounts will come and say, hey, we've got Acme. Acme is a really engaged account. But what they're doing is aggregating all this behavior up to the account level. And it's like, hey, we might have 25 engaged, known and anonymous people, and they may even report back. They're super engaged. They're consuming all, all kinds of contents in 249 minutes. Right? But when I send that to sales and say, hey, Acme is a qualified account, um, you know, sales is going to push back or be concerned because it's like, well, what if I've got you know, four different solutions. What I really need to understand is within that account of the 25 people that were engaged, you know, that was, we're seeing engagement from, these four are interested in the same content. So that's a potential buying group. These 10 are interested in another one. These six are interested. These five are interested, right? So we need that granularity and visibility to understand that, you know, it's great the account's really engaged, but as a salesperson for me to act, if I understood that here's you know, here's a group of people that are, that are engaged in similar content, interested in the same thing, then that tells me that's likely the buying group. And that gives me the area to focus on. So that's an important addition. And, and as I said, that ties back then to understand that, that opportunity map and that buying group profile. Okay, so you've heard me talk a lot about you know, MQLs, MQAs, and, and obviously our belief right, is that we wanna focus on opportunities. So, so let's talk about that. And, and, and so one of the big questions I get, as soon as I say, oh, it's going to be opportunities all the way through the process, you know, people kind of freak out and they're like, well, sales will never go for it. And, you know, what, what are we doing here? Right. But one of the things we need to think about is, you know, opportunity is one of these words where if I asked six people, tell me what you think an opportunity is, I'll get 14 answers. Right. Because there, it's, it, everybody has a different interpretation. And sales very often, when they think about opportunities, think about, hey, there's this deal, and it's this level of maturity, and it's something that I'm continuing to work and close. And it might be early pipeline, late pipeline, but it's an opportunity I'm working, right? When we think about opportunities in our context, what we really want you to think about is the opportunity is a container, just like a contact or a lead or an account, right? It's a container that I'm going to use to share information across the process. And the reason why the opportunity entity as a container is so powerful and so valuable is number one, it ties to revenue, right? I, I'm, this is a $400,000 deal and it's for my talent management solution. So I get the end, the context of, you know, how much rent money I might get, what am I selling? Opportunities also allow me to connect multiple people together. Um, and, and that is basically the buying group, right? And so I'm able to define how many people we're engaging with and, and what kind of level of engagement and, and, and enhancement we've had with them. And opportunities also come with a lot of infrastructure. There's timestamps built in, there's you know, objects that show the history of progression through this. So it, it's like a purpose-built um, container, a container, if you will, 
to help manage this revenue process. So just super, super strong, super effective way to do that. So now the question becomes, okay, cool. I, I think I get that opportunities make sense, but you know, what am I, what am I doing with this? How, how do I get people engaging in me connected to opportunities? And so, you know, I mentioned you have all these different signals the, the goal is understanding context. And so for every single interaction that we see, number one, there, there's potential value, but to get that value, I need context. And the context is who is this person that's engaging and what are they interested in? So somebody came to my website, it's from ACME, it's the VP of HR. They downloaded a white paper on best practices in hiring in 2022. That's tied to my talent management solution. So all of a sudden I triangulate off of that insight be able to say, hey, I think I've got something that you know represents maybe some initial interest or activity in our talent management solution. And, and so I'm going to connect that person with that insight to that opportunity. And then, as I said before, it's the opportunity with that insight and, and the accumulation of insight over time um, with our process, right, is, is what drives, drives opportunities and buying groups through the process. So not that, you know, not technically difficult, right? It's, it's, especially when I just look at this kind of rinse and repeat of for anything I see, who is it, what are they interested in? That's gonna help me triangulate to the opportunity. And so then the question is, okay, so I wanna do it, right? How do I do it? And um, what we've seen is there are three major ways that organizations start to make this approach, right? And, and the first one is the most pragmatic. We, we call it the crawl, the crawl approach, right? And that's basically saying, Hey, you know, today, I, I would guess 85% of the, the companies I talk to now, when I ask them about their revenue process and what the BDR does or the RDR does, um, they, they qualify and as part of the handoff process, they're now creating opportunities, but they're creating opportunities with that one MQL, right? And so the first evolution is I've got all this information, all this insight, right? Um, I want to package up that insight, make the BDR smarter. So when they're qualifying, they're not just qualifying Bob. They're able to see it's Bob and John and Sally and some anonymous people in this activity, and they're qualifying it against the group. So, and I don't need to talk to everybody. I could talk to Bob and say, hey, we've seen other engagement from John and Sally. Are they part of your team? What role do they play? Who else is involved in this buying decision process? But our goal is for that BDR, when they create the opportunity, to create it based off the insight that they that we're delivering to them and they can gain. Right? Um, a little bit more advanced, um, the, the, the second approach is create opportunities off the trigger. Right? And so um, th this is used often in, in sort of broad marketing where I'm going after maybe the financial services industry, but I don't know all the accounts uh, within that industry. Then I'm going to have somebody come to my website, right? Maybe fill out a form, download a white paper, and, and make the decision that says, is this person coming from one of our existing accounts? Yes, no, right? Uh, if no, then we want to create the account. And then is this opportunity uh, already show up in this account, or is this a new opportunity for the account? And obviously, if it's a new account, then it's going to be a new opportunity. But if it's an existing account, it might be a new opportunity, and we'll create that and connect those people to it. Right. Um, so this is more automation that occurs of, of connection and, you know, account and, and opportunity creation. It's based off of a trigger. Um, the, the second most popular one, though, actually is this run. Right. And, and to tie ABM, I have many organizations now that are focused on ABM. And the advantage of, of that is that they know the accounts they're targeting. We're going after 100 accounts, 50 accounts, 200 accounts, whatever. They know them by name. And we're encouraging them now to also understand the opportunities that exist. And they're creating shell opportunities at what we call the target stage, the planning stage to say, you know, these are the 100 accounts we're going after. These are the, 
four opportunities per account. This is the buying group profile for each one of those opportunities. And they create templates. And then their whole goal is as they gain, in, gain insight, right, then they're adding those people to it. And that's what's driving a progression through the process. So, you know, I think the key takeaway here is it sounds daunting to go, okay, you know, we're, we're going to shift opportunities. You, you can do this very pragmatically. You do this leveraging insight that you already have. And it starts with just let's make the BDR smarter, right? But it can evolve to be a very robust approach. Okay. So we mentioned earlier, Culture is the big deal, right? And, and when you really take the level deeper on what's so important about a culture, it's, you know, we've been telling our, our board, we've generated X number of MQLs per month since 1998, and, and they're kind of addicted to it, right? So how do we start to change that? And, and, and so, you know, there, there's some relatively piece of it, which just says, hey, you know, I, I used to have this thing called an inquiry. Now, you know, we're going to count the number of opportunities we have at engaged stage. For MQL, right, it's, it's opportunities at prioritized stage. And, and then for the output of the BDR, right, we, we had this thing called TQL, um, and, that, and that basically is equivalent to qualified. But something that also is typically part of this handoff is meetings, right? And so, you know, I can talk about here's, here's the number of things, I, uh, potential opportunities I fed to the BDRs. Here's the number of opportunities that come out of the BDRs and the meetings that are set. And then we used to have this magical stage called SQL, and now I can look at the volume of, of the new metric stages. And then there's supporting metrics that are consistent with all of these. And those metrics are, you know, the number of, of people that are involved in these opportunities. So on average, we have 2.7 people connected to an opportunity at, at the prioritized stage and 3.6 coming out of the qualified stage, or whatever the case might be. And, and they're showing on average 2.1 interactions per person or whatever the case might be. But that's, that's the other shift to show activity is we're looking at number of people, number of interactions, but again, with the context that says the tie to an opportunity. Okay, so that's that's kind of a volume, right? And I can drive conversions. The other big issues or big question we get a lot is, you know, the ever famous marketing source pipeline. And, and we are um, just extremely concerned with the um, un, un, you know, just unnatural emphasis that most organizations have on oh, marketing is generating 13% or 22% or whatever our, of our pipeline. And the reason is because the only way we're able to, number one, get that connection that marketing has done anything is, you know, it's got to be the MQL that winds up on the opportunity. And if it's not, then, and like sales goes out and creates a rogue opportunity, we lose it, right? And, and, and again, that one interaction, that one somebody reached an MQL is just such a big subset of, of all the interactions that are occurring. And, and we've seen like on average 27 interactions for a buying group on, on a typical opportunity. We're just missing all of that insight. So we have to change this metric. This is the metric that was designed to get the CMO fired because again, it underrepresents the value of marketing. And so what we really need to start to shift to is something that looks beyond kind of that, that single MQL source metric. And what we want to understand is a holistic view of marketing's involvement and marketing's impact. And the way I'm going to do that is by looking at the number of people, the number of engagements that, or, or interactions that we're seeing. And, and so this is an example from a client where you know, they, they went and said, okay, we're going to look at our opportunities that closed over the last you know, time period, call it a year. And, and we're going to look at how many interactions we were able to identify um, against those opportunities and, and, and start to understand, like, if there's no marketing interactions, um, you know, here's how it performs. If there's one to 10, here's how it's doing. And they compared it to just the average, right? 
And, and what they found was, you know, there were some sweet spots. If they have 11 to 20 interactions, um, you know, they, they actually perform well above the expectation of, of normal, right? Um, so they're converting at, at you know, 25% and normal was below that. So there was a 36% lift. And so what, what they're doing, which I think is incredibly significant, is saying, okay, let's, let's look at the number of interactions, determine kind of that, that impact threshold, um, and, and that's an opportunity that then has been accelerated by marketing. And it's a much more holistic view. It's better, you know, for a while we were looking at marketing influence. And one of the issues with marketing influence is it was binary, right? Oh boy, somebody came and looked at this webpage from Acme, we influenced it. Maybe, maybe not, but I don't know to what degree. And so looking at creating this threshold based off of the interactions, uh, just it's, it's the best of all worlds because it, it gives you, you know, kind of a holistic view of what's happening it also gives you a leading indicator because now what I can do is say if, if 11 is the magic number of interactions where we start to see value, then the question is I can look at all my open opportunities that we're working and say how many have reached this marketing accelerated or sufficiency index or, or threshold. And, and, and it's a really good kind of indicator that says, you know, we, 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 we are really low on interactions or we're doing great on interactions or whatever. Uh, and, and it's very much a forward-looking thing. So, yeah, th this is the type of change that we need to wean our board uh, to is away from, you know, how many MQLs and, and what percent of the MQLs actually turn the pipeline into this is how we're demonstrating the value of marketing holistically, even if they weren't the one that quote-unquote found the, or started the opportunity, because we know, right, the people, there may be an opportunity that sales found, but Marketing you know, should be engaging and adding value to that too. So it, it just gives you a much better holistic view to think about it. Okay, and this is, I think, the home run slide because what this ultimately leads to is a much better insight on our whole revenue kind of existence, right? And so this is just a really small subset. This was created as a view for a strategic account rep and that rep had you know, three accounts, Acme, Spacely, and Huli, and there's three different opportunities that exist in their world. And, and what they're able to look at then is based on the engagement of the number of people that they've seen, um, you know, they can tell in what stage is that they, they understand kind of the impact they've had and what they need to do next. And this is the legend, you know, these people represent the buying group. If they're white, it's, you know, I know the roles, but I don't know anybody. I don't even know the names of these people. If it's yellow, I, I found the names, but there's no engagement. If it's green, we're driving engagement. So we can see, you know, for talent management at Acme, we, we, we know we could should be able to sell to Acme, but we don't have any interactions, any insight. We know nothing about the people that are in the buying group versus at Spacely, we have direct interaction with four out of the six you know, members of the buying group. And we're actually in you know kind of one of the pipeline stages. Um, and at Huli, we're kind of in the middle, right? So this gives us great visibility. This is, like I said, just an example of a strategic account rep. I could take the same approach and apply it to ABM for sure, right? This is a great way to, to do ABM because you know, then my goal is here's where we're at, but what are we gonna do? We've got these last two members of the buying group that we need to get engaged in order to win this deal. How are we gonna do it? What's marketing gonna do? What's sales gonna do? How are we gonna accelerate this pipeline, right? So it gives you great white space, but it also helps you understand next best actions, which is really ultimately the key for ABM, okay? Um, so that's it. And, and, and so I wanna do a wrap up. and, and Actually, after I heard the Beatles way back when, right, I started listening to other songs. And, and it's not just the Beatles that are sending messages about the need to move from MQL to opportunities. There's actually a number of musicians, a number of songs that talk directly to this issue. Right. And, and so, 
you know, one of the things that we found is sometimes you need motivation, right? And, and so to help motivate you to make this transformation from MQLs to opportunities, we created a playlist. And so um, you can scan that, that QR code and it will take you to, I think we have probably 60 different songs that are all, you know, heavily related to saying goodbye to, you know, what you've been doing forever and to saying hello to something new, right? Like in this case, moving from these opportunities. So, uh, but, but just ways to think about driving this transformation, context is key, right? And, and with an MQL, we're very often missing so much context and we need to change that. Right? We want to we understand and leverage the value out of every, every single interaction and then leverage that insight from every single interaction to tie it to the buying group member and tie it to an opportunity, right? Um, and, and for us to align, you know, it's not just aligning on accounts, it's aligning on accounts, opportunities, and the buying group profiles. So that understands kind of where we're aiming and why. Um, and, then, and then we have to work on this cultural shift of getting people off of the, how many MQLs did you produce last month? And, and it's really more, how many opportunities are we finding? What level of engagement are we seeing at? How many have reached a sufficiency? Um, and, and Andrew mentioned the blog series that I wrote on this. It's very much what I just talked about. So if you wanna read in more detail, you're welcome. This is the link to the first out of the four part, four part blog series. Um, and, and so that should give you some additional insight and information. So that's it. Um, I want to thank you so much for participating. Hope this has been helpful um, and good luck on your transformation. Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry. That was a great way to open things up. Um, I want to, uh, I actually downloaded the playlist too. I'm checking it out on Spotify. Nice diverse mix. We got some NSYNC in there, some Adele. Yeah, check check it out for sure, folks, if you haven't. Um, but thanks again to Terry. I know some of that might seem daunting if you're in the earlier stages of of all this, but I definitely think the uh, advice yeah. for focusing on buying groups is is uh, an absolute that you should focus on. So I'm sorry, Terry, were you going to add something else? Yeah, I was just going to add one point, right? Because that, that's been part of the concern is people say, oh, this is really, really hard. And, and I think one of the proof points that, it, that it's now possible and realistic was Summit this year. We have, uh, every year we have, we call them return on integration winners. It's the big awards. Um, this year, you know, it used to be Siemens PLM. It's now Siemens Digital Insight uh, won the award. And, and, you know, a few years ago, their process was every single lead, every single person that, that breathed became not just a lead entity, but a unique lead entity. So if you came to the website three times in a week, you were three distinct leads in their system. They had hundreds and hundreds of thousands of duplicate leads, uh, just horrible chaotic process. They won the award because they've completely done this transformation. They've trained over 2000 sales reps. Uh, they send opportunities to their partners. And, and John Donnan, who was the MC of that, was basically like, okay, as you see, right, the, the excuse of saying, oh, this is too hard is, is gone, right? Because if Siemens with their hundreds and hundreds of solutions can do this, there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't do this too. Right? So I think that that was, that, that, you know, like, like I said, I think we're, we're at this major inflection point. I feel, I feel like this proud, you know, parent of a college grad, the, the opportunity centric process has grown up, right? And, and it's ready to be adopted. And, and so um, I think the time to act is now, right? And so awesome. good, good luck on that. All right. Well, thanks again, Terry. This all right. Well, that certainly left us all with a lot to think about. And we're actually really interested in hearing your take on the MQL and MQA debate. So feel free to connect with us on Twitter and LinkedIn and let us know. Of course, as always, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast player of choice to stay in the loop for future episodes. 
And thank you all for tuning in today. That's a wrap. Take care.